You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. If you'd like to contact the show, you can either call us at 844-999-9249, or you can email to my mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com, and I will answer as many questions as I can. School's officially over. We've had trips, people getting ready for day camps. Um, they've become legal. The governor's allowed day camps at least. Um, I think in Michigan, even sleepaway camps. New York, not so lucky. Um, but we always like to talk about beautiful things that happen. A lot of things going on during corona. Um, a lot of people just going above and beyond, actually trying to be creative in ways that they can help with the children at home, the sun is shining, how can we help the children? So somebody just sent me a beautiful video of something that took place about two weeks ago in Detroit. Um, there was actually, they took care of bicycles for hundreds and hundreds of children, bikes, scooters. Um, I could tell you the whole story, but why should I tell you with a story when somebody actually put a video together? So if Angel is ready and that link works, uh, we can put up that video, I think. Ah, here we go.
Okay, that was it was it was unbelievable. I mean, I see these bikes all over my neighborhood, children that didn't have bikes or their bikes were old and broken or these scooters are scooting around and of course they made sure the children had helmets. And it's just beautiful because we, we got to let the kids get out. They got to get out of the house. They got to have things to do. So it's a beautiful program. Obviously, the person who ran it, even though if you live in the Detroit area, you really know who was involved. But if they didn't put his name up on the video, then he or the family shall go nameless. But it was really amazing. It's just, you know, we talked on our last show also. You know, sometimes we got to be creative. We got to find ways where we can help a lot of people with everything that's going on and still the social distancing and people not getting up and around. And this was something that was really, really fantastic. I hope you appreciated that quick video. And if you live in a town where they don't do those things, well, then just move right out here. We will gladly take you. Anyways, let's get into this week's Torah portion. It is the Torah portion of Korach. My son asked me the other week, was it yesterday, two days ago? I don't remember. He says, you know, it just seems like in the Torah, you know, lately, that it's just one thing after another, the Jewish people did this thing wrong and that thing wrong and the next thing wrong. And I said, right. I said, one thing to know in the Torah, the Torah focuses. It is, is, it is amazingly honest, truthful. MS is an important word. And it, it, it focuses in when, whether it's great people or the Jewish nation who saw all these miracles and they left Egypt and they got the Torah and they saw everything God was doing and they're being supplied while they're rebelling. They're being supplied with food every day and water every day and they're protected by clouds and at the same time we have the ability to rebel, which some people use this information to go ahead and show you that uh, the Torah was written by God because if you were writing your own book about the great Moses and the great Jewish people, you would never write all this stuff. And uh, other people use it for other lessons. You see what can happen, that uh, people get complacent, people get used to getting stuff, and we're used to getting that food every day and used to getting water every day and used to being in the desert but protected by the clouds, and we're so used to it, we could just rebel against God. It is amazing what can happen to people? So let's try to talk a little bit about the story, what's happening, some stuff we can learn from the story. Let, let's take it slow. So first we need to know who was Korach. Korach is from a very important family. He is a cousin of Moses. So that means he comes from the most important Levite um, family, which is Kahas. Um, Moses is, so Kahas has four children. Amram is the oldest child of Gehus. That's where Moses and Aaron, Moshe and Aaron, come from. Then the next is there's Amram, Yitzhar. Yitzhar is the second child of Gehus, and his son is Korach. And then there's two other brothers we know about and some of their children. Korach is such an important person. He is such a holy, righteous person, at least at this point or up to this point, he is one of the four Levites that actually carries the Ark, the Aron. When the Jewish people traveled, we've talked uh, a bunch of times already, we had to take apart the tabernacle, and people have to carry the boards, and people have to carry uh, the curtains, and, and the vessels have to be carried. The menorah, and the shulchan, and the altars, and the Ark, the Aron HaKodesh, which uh, holds the tablets, the luchos, 
And it's a dangerous thing to be carrying that ark. If your mind cannot be totally focused and understand that this is the ark and God and holiness and and uh, whatever else he had to have in mind, you were dead. That's the uh, other place we find in Tanakh that, uh, that when King David, when David Amal was bringing the ark up to Jerusalem, so he made a mistake and he had it on a wagon and the Torah clearly says it's supposed to be carried. He made a mistake. And, uh, and the ark was sliding off the wagon. So somebody reached out their hand to grab it. And that person should have known better. The ark carries itself. It doesn't need your help. Uh, putting out your hand to grab it shows as if God needs your help to carry the ark, which he never needed. Anyways, it's too heavy. If you start figuring out the dimensions and the weight of gold and the stone inside, it was fantastically heavy. It dies on the spot. That, uh, that person who reached out to save the ark, or to stop it from falling. It wasn't going to fall anyways. So Korach was one of the four people that actually carried the ark. So he's not just a run-of-the-mill regular guy. So Korach is going to start a rebellion against Moses. And we're going to explain what that means, this type of rebellion. Um, he had two different groups of people with him. He had the firstborn, um, many leaders of, uh, of different tribes, and certainly from Ruvain, uh, the Bechar, the firstborn, were the leaders. Now, again, we've talked about this um, over the last couple of weeks, that the Torah clearly shows you over and over that just because you're a firstborn um, does not mean anything. In idol worship, uh, firstborn is very important, but not in the Torah. And we went through this over and over. Isaac, Yitzchak is not the oldest. Yaakov, Jacob is not the oldest. Um, the Levite tribe is not the oldest. Um, Moses is not the oldest. Um, we bless our children to be like Ephraim and Manasseh. Ephraim is not the oldest. So over and over and over again, we find that being the oldest is not what is of value. What's of value is um, who are you and what have you done with your life? That's what's of value. But still, the firstborn did not appreciate, uh, to put it mildly, that they lost their position of, of serving in the temple, and it was given over to the tribe of the Levites. So they're also involved in this, we'll call it the rebellion. And then we have two characters who we've been dealing with um, throughout Moses' life. They're Dasan and Aviram. Moses saves um, one of those brothers from being killed by the Egyptian, and then he goes out the next day and he finds the brothers fighting and he, and he gets involved. And from that point on, this Dust and Aviram have it in for Moshe, for Moses. Whether jealousy, um, most of the complaints here will clearly be, why did you take us out of Egypt? We were better off in Egypt. So there's three different groups, which again goes to show you that this was not a, a, a fight with Moses for a good reason because they were fighting amongst themselves. So we're, we'll take it slow. So Korach approaches Moses and he says, you've, you've taken the leadership too far. God did not tell you to do all the things you're doing. God didn't tell you to make Aaron your brother, the high priest, the Kohen Gadol. As everybody knows that Moses was the one that got the Torah. They know that. The question they seem to have had was, is Moses making up some stuff on his own? Now, we need to focus on that statement. If you can accuse Moses of making up anything 
even one little thing, even one little letter that he may have added to the Torah, one word, one anything. So you, you accuse Moses of choosing his brother Aaron to be the high priest when it should have gone to someone else, or maybe there shouldn't be a high priest. So what makes you think that uh, any specific command Moses didn't just pick on his own? And once you don't like one command, well, what's to say any command has any value? So whether Korach realized it or not, his, and we're calling it a rebellion, his fight, his argument, his rebellion against Moses was really a rebellion against the whole Torah. And that's clear, and that's why he's going to get a fantastic punishment. Let's step back to, again, decide who this Korach is. Is he a fool? You know God talks to Moses. You know that God um, had Moses do some of the plagues. You know that God had Moses um, split the Red Sea. You you know that uh, whenever God wants to talk to the Jewish people, he does it through Moses. You know Moses has prayed on behalf of the Jewish people. Why do you think that you could start up with Moses? Like, what are you imagining? So one of the answers the rabbis give, very interesting. Here's what Korach was imagining. He was imagining that he saw, and they had that ability, I cannot tell you how, but a little bit they could see the future. And Korach saw that he was going to have an amazing descendant. And that descendant was Samuel, as in Samuel, you know, book one and book two. There were only one Samuel. Why they split into two books, I have no idea. But Shmuel Hanavi, he was a prophet. He was the, the, the last prophet that led the Jewish people before there were kings. Um, Samuel actually anoints King Saul. He also anoints uh, King David. He is a very, very righteous, holy, important person um, in in that part of the Jewish people's history. And uh, we even say on our Sabbath prayers, it's really from Psalms, that um, Shmuel Hanavi, or Samuel, is equal to Moses and Aaron. That's how the the verse goes. So Korach says, if such a great, important person is coming from me, well, then obviously I'm going to survive, right? In other words, the person's coming from me, I must be a great person. Um, he was, and he certainly deserved to have this great child come through him or from him. But great people have great evil inclinations, and he misunderstood as he thought that he's going to stick around. So he must have a place for him to argue, and that obviously was a, was a tragic, terrible um, mistake. That's what Korach wants. Dust and Avirim are fighting. They don't like the idea they were taken out of Egypt. It is, um, it is amazing that they're even alive. In other words, we've talked before that during the plague of darkness, um, four-fifths of the Jewish people died because they did not want to leave Egypt. Well, if Dustin and Avirim don't want to leave Egypt, um, why didn't they just die with everybody else? Like, why are they sticking around? Everybody else who didn't want to leave Egypt died. They're busy complaining they didn't want to leave Egypt. Why are they alive? So that would be very interesting. Dustin and Avirim were good people um, in one aspect. They were from those um, um, judges that allowed themselves to be beaten and it was when the, when the Egyptians increased, when Pharaoh increased the labor. And he said, I'm not giving you straw anymore, and you still got to make the same amount of bricks. So the Jewish foremen um, were supposed to hit the Jews who were not working hard enough or fast enough. 
And the foreman, the Jewish foreman, did not allow themselves to hit another Jew. I mean, that's what the Egyptians wanted. That's Look, the Nazis were very good at it with the capos, the Jewish capos. Um, the Russians were good in the early 1900s with the asphyxia, where you get Jew to go after Jew. It's the most painful thing. You know, the non-Jew wants to, wants to kill me because I'm Jewish is one thing. But my brother wants to start up with me because I'm Jewish? That's, that's just too painful to bear. So Dust and Aviram allowed themselves to be beaten and not beat other Jews. For that, they deserve to leave Egypt. They don't deserve to become the, the next group of elders. The 70 elders came from those, those foremen that allowed themselves to be beaten. They don't deserve to be foremen. They cannot be foremen. That's ridiculous. But, but they do deserve something. And there's something was they got to leave Egypt. They just didn't learn their lesson. So it's amazing. Moses tries to, to speak to them. It does say Moses spoke to Korach. And Korach's children were sitting there. And the children were quiet. Because they can't take sides. You're going to argue with your father? It's not nice. You're going to argue with... Moses, also not nice. They kept quiet. They actually survived. They did not die. Um, but Dustin Aviram, when Moses offered to go talk to them, right? In other words, Moses takes a lot of abuse and he keeps going, which is amazing for a leader. Pretty much, um, if you've ever wanted or thought, I would love to be a leader, I'd love to be out there and taking care of people, you should know. And you see this from Moses. Um, if you're going to be a leader, there's a lot of abuse you have to be willing to take. You don't get to say, I'm so good, you should leave me alone. Real leaders understand they're going to take abuse and they're going to be quiet about it. They're just going to keep going and ignore it, even though no one's applauding all the things they're doing, because that's part of being a leader. So Dustin Avirim send back a message. We don't want to talk to you. You didn't do us any favors. We would have rather stayed in Egypt. They are the opposite of showing gratitude. They are tremendous ingrates. And therefore Moses does to them something that he does not do at any other point during the 40 years we're in the desert. The Jewish people do a lot of things wrong. We, 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 we sin. We fail our tests. And every time we go back to Moses and say, oh, sorry, Moses, we, we messed up. Could you pray for us again? Over and over and over. Here's one time where Moses does something which would seem to be out of character. What does he do? He tells God, do not accept their sacrifice. As in the daily sacrifices, everybody's a partner. So I have a merit in, in that daily sacrifice that should help me out. Moses says, Dustin Aviram, do not God, do not accept their sacrifice. They have to be punished, and that's it, which is amazing because Moses is so full of mercy. Another good one of the numerous lessons that we're trying to take out is um, people think that mercy means I'm always nice to everybody, and I let everything slide, and I never act strict with anybody. It's not true. The Torah teaches us very clearly that there's a time for mercy and there's a time to be strict. And if you don't know how or when to be strict, then your mercy is not a real mercy. Um, I was just uh, reading an amazing book at home. King Saul um, also wanted to show mercy, and it was misplaced. Um, when 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 his army went to destroy Amalek, 
So, so he was told very clearly, kill all the males. That's what God told him. And don't leave anything over. Instead, he comes back with flocks of animals. And, um, and he keeps alive the king. So Samuel comes, the same Shmuel we talked about before. And he says, what'd you do? No, the people, they wanted the animals, and I wanted to bring back the king to show people what God did. And Shmuel uh, laced into him and said, that's not mercy. That's not what God wanted from you. He gave you strict instructions. So what happens later when Shmuel is chasing after the future King David and, and, and David Amelech had been supplied food by a city of Kohanim, the Nov, Nov, the city of the priests. So, so Shaul is so angry how they helped the person he's chasing. He had the whole city killed. What happened to mercy? So you see that if there's misplaced mercy, it's not real mercy. And eventually it's going to lead to tragedy. So here too, Moses has to show everyone that not always do, do, is there a place for mercy. Sometimes, and the Torah tells us when, you have to be strict. And this was one of those times. And then the third group, of course, is the, is the priest, is the firstborn. And they're also coming uh, with uh, being misguided. And so their end, my time is flying here, so let's uh, skip ahead a little bit. So Moses says to them, he says, first God wants to destroy the Jewish people. And, and Moses says, come on, God. They're not, they're confused. They're, 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 they're standing on the fence. They, they can't tell who's right or wrong. This Korach was a great speaker. Everything he said made a lot of sense to everybody. Um, and, he, and people were confused. So Moses says, God, we have to show everybody that, they're, that, what, that they cannot follow a Korach. It can never be allowed to happen. There must be a tremendous punishment. Uh, Moses told all the people starting up, he said, you want to be a high priest? Well, there's only one, and God picked him. Now, he already picked Aaron, but you think you're better. So you're going to all bring the incense, the fire pan with incense. We'll all be burning. We'll all be standing here tomorrow morning. And let God choose. And again, he's hinting to them, God already chose, but they weren't paying attention. So, uh, so they all died, but Moses, but Moses gave an announcement, and he said that, God, you have to make a new creation. Either you create it, no one's ever seen it, or it's a new creation. The, ma- the, the earth will open up its mouth and swallow these people. Now, you might think that's an earthquake. However, two things are a little different. First of all, earthquakes might open their mouths, but they don't close them afterwards with no cracks to be seen. And second of all, um, they don't hop from place to place. So what's going to happen is that wherever these people are standing, the earth will keep opening up and swallowing them. So you're going to go to Korach where he's standing, open up and swallow him and his family, except for those sons that were righteous and they repented and they were quiet when Moses came in. And then you're gonna, the, the, that mouth is going to, I say run, but the earth will open its mouth up where Dustin of Irma is standing and will swallow them. Debatable if the 250 firstborn were actually, if it was swallowed or not. So let's get another lesson over here. Korach was very, very good with his mouth. He, he, could, he, could, he was a speaker. He could say things that would confuse you. He, um, he questioned a lot of laws that Moses taught them. Um, he says, if a mezuzah, the thing we put on a doorpost, if that protects me, what about a, a room full of books? That for sure should protect me. Again, he was making up his own ideas, which sound good, but it's not coming from God. 
So he was able to convince people with his mouth what he believed to be correct instead of listening to what God said. So you used your mouth, you opened your mouth the wrong way. Guess what? The earth is going to open up its mouth and it's going to swallow you. Um, I have a few seconds left, but let me see if I can get through it. Um, the People still complained. They still complained. So God said we're going to do one last thing to show everybody it's only Aaron. So Moses took the walking sticks from Aaron and from the leaders of the 12 tribes. They put those sticks into the, into the room with the, with the ark. And the next morning, they all get their sticks. And they see that Aaron's is flowering and budding and almonds. And the rest of their sticks just look dead. And that was, again, to show that, it's, uh, that God chose Aaron. He didn't choose the other ones. And it was interesting. It, you look at the verse. The verse says that the, the other leaders were checking their sticks. Maybe it was my stick. Maybe my stick flowered, and, and, and they and they switched sticks on me. And that, of course, was was uh, was not true. Others say they did the opposite. They were willing to say, "I'll be a Levite and not have land, and uh, and and will serve in the temple." And I was willing to give up my life for it. And here comes my music. And today is it's just been flying today. I tried to get as much info into you as I could. The music's playing. I hope you enjoyed it, short and sweet. Thank you to our wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know I can't do it without you. Thank you to our wonderful production team. We have David and Angel in the back. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Toro on NRM Streamcast. And until next week, don't forget to think about it. There's a house we can build.